Hey guys, Mubarak Shah, CPA here, M&A advisor, and pretty much a deal transaction advisory CPA with Maori and Schoenfeld and Deal Maven. And today I want to continue the series on search funds, how to start one and how to utilize a search fund to end up acquiring your first business. All right, so the first half of this, I want to talk about search funds, but then in the second half, I'm going to talk about actually acquiring the first company that you'll be you know, hopefully acquiring and analyzing and looking through it. So we're going to get as much as we can in this episode, but we'll continue it. And um, I'll give you my contact information at the end if you want to talk further. But again, just as a quick recap, a search fund, right, is an investment vehicle used by, so far it's been one or two individuals. So it's interesting how it's that dynamic, where it's either one person or it's a pair. And essentially, it's a two-step process. You're first financing and creating a search fund, and you're utilizing that search fund in order to go find and acquire a company. All right. So it's very interesting because there's almost like a journey where you start off almost like a fund manager, private equity, you know, raising capital. You go out and then you kind of run a mini fund. You look out, look for acquiring a company and then you, you know, have to raise investment capital. You have to get lending financing. You go and close an acquisition, but then you transition into the CEO. And that's where the interesting dynamic is. Or if you have a pair, um, if it's two of you guys, then typically, or gals, then it's typically, you know, two different positions, CEO, CFO, COO, um, co-COOs, co-owners, however kind of that dynamic ends up working out. So it's super, super, I mean, it was really just kind of for, Harvard grads, Stanford grads, all of that. But now it's kind of emerging out a little further. There's more conferences um, around the world and mainly in the United States still. But, you know, Brazil is up and coming in the search fund space. And, you know, I work at Maury and Schoenfeld as a transaction advisory manager. And we see this work and we see these kind of deals on a consistent basis coming out, which is, um, you know, more and more interest from these other parts. But Overall, let's get into kind of the actual situation, which is first raising the fund. All right. So technically what you have to do initially is set up your entity structure, right? An LLC typically. Um, And just as a kind of initial heads up, like you're going to see a lot of companies and a lot of people that are in the search fund space that usually have something like blank search partners or blank capital partners, Um, you know, so... Uh, there's just all types of varieties. So, you know, some clients are like Hudson Yards Capital or uh, Mineola Search Partners. Um, these are uh, Polar Peak Capital, Glass Lake Holdings, Glass Lake Capital, Rose Capital Partners. So you're going to try, you, you know, just an easy kind of way if you want to be a search fund, if you want to be a searcher, that's kind of signals to investors right away the type of entity that you probably are, that you're probably going out and being a searcher, which means that you're in a fund first, and then you're going to probably transition that and close it out into the acquisition vehicle that you end up uh, acquiring, right? So that's kind of step one. Um, And obviously, you know, I am a CPA, so you can reach out to me. But again, every situation is specific, and you would technically want to make sure that you're having a not only a lawyer, but also a tax CPA or, you know, a tax expert to help you with this process because you want to make sure you set yourself up right. Um, You know, there's some really very, very interesting parts of the whole search fund process. Like, 
Um, I'm going to do a whole separate episode on this, but there's something called like the Section 1202 QSBS, which uh, long story short, again, this is not tax advice because that would be done on a separate one-on-one consultation. This is purely, even though I am a CPA and, uh, you know, this is just generic advice uh, for right now, which is a Section 1202 basically allows capital gains from a qualified small business stock to be excluded from federal tax up to $10 million. A minimum of 10 million, or um, uh, it's either 10 million or basically um, 10% of your basis, whichever is lower or so, technically. So it's a very, very interesting kind of uh, tax exclusion that you want to just obviously make sure you have set up so you can potentially save, you know, when you're looking to sell and flip the business as part of the kind of long five, 10 year search fund process you can kind of save on millions of dollars of taxes, which would could literally be the difference between a successful exit and a average or bad exit. So again, so first part, entity structure, tax planning, deal team, right? Get get the right M&A lawyer, get the right CPA. Um, you know, there's some good lawyers in the space, like Goodwin. Um, there's obviously uh, Ramjani, whatever law firm he's at is always good. Um, there's a couple good ones that kind of specialize in search funds. And then obviously I'm biased on the accounting side, you know, but if you want a QOV, obviously Maurer and Schoenfeld is the way to go, but you can kind of look elsewhere, um, if you want to have issues as well. And, uh, then you need a good finance here, but I want to get into that in a little bit. I want to talk about the next step, which is kind of when you're raising a fund, right? The first issue to tackle is going to be establishing a compelling investment proposition, all right, why are the investors going to invest in you and not, you know, the other people, basically, right? So, you know, there's certain specific pieces that you put together in what's called a private placement memorandum, right, a PPM. And you might have a lawyer help you out with it. You might have your accountants help you out with it. You might just probably be able to find some type of template online. Uh, I don't know how readily available that is, but if you reach out to me, I can help you out there. But essentially, the PPM or the private placement memorandum is that 30, 20 to 40 page document on average. Some are larger, some are smaller. Um, that basically outlines your background, your focus, your mission. And then, really, you know, three quarters of it is pretty templated for search funds from what I've seen the 100 or so search fund deals that I've been a part of so far. Um, I've been able to see kind of the same verbiage. They literally rip most of the context out of you know, the Stanford study and stuff, but there are maybe five or 10 personalized pages that are based off of your own personal bio, your background, your MBA, your prior business experience. And then a couple pages also on like the specific investment area or industry that you want to tackle or you're going to look at, right? So there's certain kind of determinations you have to make, which is, you know, is the fund going to be geography focused? Is it going to be... uh, industry focused, what kind of backgrounds and experiences are going to best be matched with the target company characteristics. Um, you know, these are all kind of some of the top uh, focus points that you kind of need to have when you're looking at putting your together your PPM. And then afterwards, right, selecting and, and kind of what I was talking about before, Selecting and using the right advisors is super important in, in generating credibility for the fund, right? Um, 
So advisors are going to be helping you really because of their network, but also because they've done this before. You know, just like anything else, buying a home, buying a car, buying, doing any kind of real investment. You know, for most people listening and for most people starting a search fund, it's probably the first time that you're buying a business or else you're probably not listening to this podcast um, unless you're looking for some extra, extra tips or so. Probably the first couple of businesses that you buy, you would want to. But advisors like myself or other people that are kind of more service people like QOVs or lawyers or kind of CPAs or, or financiers, lenders, they've just seen so many deals, right? So we've worked with so many searchers, so many. And so we know what works, what doesn't work. And we can generally be like a sounding board for ideas, right? We'll, have, we'll provide you with industry contacts, um, either to kind of have more effective conversations or to help fill maybe a gap in knowledge that you might have, and even to help generate deal flow, right? There might be a certain industry that you are looking to partake in or looking for companies within it that other people in the industry might have already have some connections to, right? And so what will happen is that basically you the fund principal, so the two one or two searchers that are starting the fund are going to create this formal proposal, which is, again, that PPM, private placement memorandum or investment memorandum, and that's what you're going to take and you're going to shop it around to potential investors, right? Um and for investors, search funds are super interesting. And probably if you're interested in, in doing a search fund, the reason you'd want to do it is because there's just super above average returns, right? So the Stanford study is pretty popular on it. Um, I know, I believe it was Search Investment Group that just released a self-funded study as well um, that basically shows roughly that first-time search funds produce, on average, say, pre-tax annualized returns of like 30-plus percent. And... Um, you know, there's a limited initial investment, right? The search fund is basically a staged investment. So what happens is that first you're raising maybe 25K to 50K checks from like 10 investors or so, right? On average, you know, sometimes we've seen search funds that have like a few hundred thousand put in from a single investor. And we've also seen in search funds with, you know, 40 investors each put in 10, 20K. Actually, I have not seen that. I've seen it really you know, more on the smaller side, but we do see up to maybe 25 investors. So I guess I have seen that where they're putting each in like 20,000 or so, right, for the initial 500K, 600K that the searcher or the two searchers get initially to be able to then, um, you know, raise capital and have the next round of kind of search capacity for a year or two to be able to fund themselves and go out and actually find a company to acquire, right? So, Basically, what happens is that they, the initial investor only has to put up that small amount up front, and then the investor has that opportunity to become more familiar with the actual searcher during the search process. They help them analyze the different investment opportunities that come in front of them. And then initial investors, not only do they get a 50% step up in basis when the actual acquisition target is found, but they also get the right of first refusal, which means that they don't necessarily have to participate. You know, but they get the option to and they get kind of the first round option to be able to invest in. So that becomes very interesting for investors. Right. There are downfalls, though, of course, which is, you know, you have generally speaking inexperienced principles. Right. As awesome as you might be as a you know new MBA from Harvard or Stanford, you really don't know much about what it takes to run a company successfully. You know, especially a startup, especially a small company. Typically, a lot of the people in this space have backgrounds in private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, 
um, you know, they're expert modelers and, you know, they've probably done it well in everything in their life, but, and probably worked maybe in a Fortune 500 company or a Fortune 100 company, but still, unfortunately, those skills usually don't translate to what is actually required to be a successful CEO or to be a successful C-suite operator of a smaller or mid-sized business, right? So that's kind of the danger that many principals end up having little or no experience in not only acquiring companies, obviously, but then also running the company. Uh, so that's kind of the risk that investors are taking. But typically, because of the type of uh, acquisitions that end up happening, you know, you have people that are generally speaking, um, they're given the opportunity to kind of buy a company that has some stability, has a background, and so there's not too much of an upfront risk. And so investors feel more comfortable allowing for that to happen, right? Um, and so basically what you have to figure out is you have to set up maybe some industries you're interested in, maybe a geography that you're kind of going to limit yourself to. These are kind of important characteristics that you have to set for yourself so you can kind of limit your search and really just helps you find an acquisition target, right? Because this is going to easily take up to a year, sometimes even two years. Um, and there's a lot of different factors that take play because even once you sign an LOI, depending on the deal complexity, it can still take six months or more from the time you know you, you sign the LOI until the deal closes. And that's because of the due diligence that has to occur. You know, there's I, I've done another episode on the four different types of due diligence that you can kind of take a look at. And I'll link in the show notes, but there's commercial due diligence on the actual customers. There's financial due diligence, obviously, on like the financials of the company. There's legal due diligence on the contracts and the prior, you know, employee, employer liabilities and potentials there. Then if it's a SaaS company, there's like code and tech due diligence. So, you know, there's a lot of different parts of it that you need to kind of keep an eye out for. Um, but the last thing I want to talk about in this episode is just kind of really understanding how to establish like industry screening and just certain parameters that you want to keep an eye out for is like, for example, fragmented industries, right? Um, industries that don't have a dominant player or have numerous companies with relevant revenue ranges. So, for example, the HVAC space, the home health space, a lot of searchers are getting more and more involved in that space. And that's, you know, sometimes, you know. It goes hand in hand. It depends on if you want to go into a roll-up strategy, which is a whole different conversation. But in general, it lets you know kind of, okay, can I find at least the company I'm looking for in my revenue target and model there? Um, and then there's obviously market growth of the industry as a whole, you know, the industry structure. Maybe, you know, obviously, everyone always kind of fantasizes about recurring revenue. So these are all important parameters. But I want to end it here in the second part. I want to really talk more about, you know, the rest of the acquisition process, the searching of the company, and what is the closing process like. So if you guys like this, please subscribe. Uh, you can always reach out to me. You can leave a review uh, if you like the content, but you can always text us at 516-417-4941. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Take care.